Hi there, Charlie here. Um, just wanted to preface this episode of the podcast um, by warning you that we talk about the traitors. Um, so if you are not up to date with season two of the UK traitors and season one as well, if you plan to watch that, um, then maybe don't listen to it or skip to the football bit, which is a, is at exactly 30 minutes. I think we start talking about actual football. Um, so yeah, if you're not interested in the traitors or you don't want to spoil it or whatever, just skip to that point. I'd also like to apologize for a horrendous pronunciation later on in the podcast of Onabacha. Um, I am not a professional journalist. If I was, I would have researched the pronunciation thoroughly before I attempted to say it. Um, it's just one of those names that gets stuck in my brain, but it's Onabacha, Onabacha, Onabacha. I apologize again profusely for that. Anyway, try and enjoy the podcast, even in light of that. Cue that royalty-free music. Hi there, welcome back to Why Always She, uh, the podcast um, about becoming obsessed with women's football. I'm Charlie Parks, as usual, and I'm here with my co-host Matthew Clough, also known as Matt Clough. I don't know why I full named you there. How are as you? you? As usual again, yeah, I'm good. Well, and yeah. As good as we can be after still reeling from Leicester's devastating 1-0 defeat to Aston Villa in the first WSL game back. Why did you have to immediately bring that up? We go again. I, do, I didn't want to talk to... about. I am going to talk about it later. But... Okay. Well, but... we've got we've got Everton and the Conti Cup tomorrow. We're going back back in the at the under the bright lights of the Pirelli. We're yeah, ready but, to go. Yeah, but the as you pointed out last night, the odds of us getting out of the group in the Conti Cup are pretty slim. Yeah. So, the, the, but still, if we can actually get a win, it might help us figure out what the starting eleven that's is. That's it. It's and, all about morale at this stage. Anyway, even though you're trying to make it a podcast about Leicester women, it's not. It's about women's football generally. And um, obviously, we started off last week by talking about why we like women's football um, and why we got into it and why we became obsessed with it. And we both mentioned the lionesses, and we also mentioned how personable they are and how everyone has been able to get to know their characters um, and their personalities. With that in mind, and due to our current obsession with the BBC reality series, The Traitors, we are bringing you the crossover that nobody asked for, but everyone's going to want, Yeah. which is, what if the lionesses were on The Traitors? (laughs) Um, So I guess I should preface this by saying a couple of things number one if you haven't seen the traitors maybe don't listen to this bit maybe skip to the next episode or i'll put a little intro in at the start to let you know where to skip to if you want to just get to the football chat um but we just thought you know it's our podcast we can do what we want we'll have a bit of fun we're obsessed with the traitors let's just have a chat about this have a bit of fun we'll do our best to to kind of anyone who's not seen the traitors, we'll, we'll kind of give you a, a brief on what we're kind of talking about. We're not going to go super nerdy. Hopefully, won't go too spoilery. Although we will probably mention names of people who are in the second series of the, of the UK version of the traitors. We're recording this just before the final three episodes go out. So if you have, if you are watching the second series but don't want to know what's going on in it, also bear that in mind. This is very true, and yeah, so spoiler alert, 
if you are watching the second series and you're not up to, to episode nine, because that's where we've got to. Yes. Yeah, maybe don't listen to this, go and watch <laughs> the traitors, whatever. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to add is, obviously, this is just a bit of fun. It's a fun thought experiment based on what little evidence we have about the personalities of the lionesses. They, we obviously think they're nice people. They seem like nice people anyway. They are very talented, very successful sports people. And just for anyone who doesn't watch The Traitors and is still listening, just because you're a traitor doesn't mean you're a bad person. These yes. are just people on a TV show playing a game. Like, we're just, we're just postulating who we think would be good at certain roles in the game. Um, and it doesn't mean we're judging them or saying that they're a bad person. I think that's something that happens on the show quite a lot, is, people, is the faithfuls often sort of attribute personality traits that they don't like to the traitors. Yes. When actually your best strategy as a traitor is to be a people person and to be gregarious and nice to make friends with people. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to preface that. Like, we are making judgments based on <laughs> very little evidence, but we're not, you know... We love the lionesses. Um, no one comes out of this badly. No. We're just sort of suggesting what roles within the traitors we might think the lionesses would fall into mm-hmm. based on the two UK series, the sort of character archetypes that seem to have appeared. So, you know, the, the lead traitor, the one who kind of masterminds it all, the sort of second in command, then in the faithful roles, you've got the the real sort of super sleuth. You've got the sort of the one who really excels at all of the tasks and, and wins people over that way and so on. Yeah, that's true. Do you want to just explain very briefly, if people are still listening and they don't know about The Traitors, what The Traitors is? So The Traitors is a social deduction game that takes place in a castle in Scotland. Uh, Claudia Winkleman is there. And basically, there is a, a group, a small group of traitors, a larger group of faithfuls. The idea is the faithfuls have to banish who they think are the traitors. If they get to the end and any traitors have survived, then the traitors win all the money. If any, if it's just the faithfuls, then the faithfuls split the money. And the, the faithful have very little to go on in terms of who the traitors are. So they're looking for any sort of clues they can find in terms of behaviour, changes in behaviour, how someone reacts under pressure, etc, etc. It's a great summary. Um, and we spent far too much time on the format of the Traitors for a, sh- uh, for a podcast about football. So let's get to the football. Let's do it. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so, like you mentioned there, I've got some traitor roles, some sort of traitor stereotypes that have emerged in the first two series of Traitors and some faithful stereotypes and... What we're going to do is argue, undoubtedly, about which lioness we think <laughs> would fulfil each role. And the first one, which we're going to get into, is the mastermind traitor. So this is the one who's, like, in charge, makes it to the end as the last traitor. Um, if you've seen series one, it's Wilf. Yeah. Um, if you've seen series two, it's Paul pre-meltdown, and then it's Harry post melt post poor meltdown <laughs> the sort of one who pretends they're not in charge but they are yes they're very much leading the traitor discussions leading the tactics yeah kind of yeah show, showing the other traitors which way to which way they should be going basically. so me and matt have already disagreed about this because my pick for this one is mary Earps. yeah and you disagree why do you want to make the case for mary Earps, and then i will tell you yeah. why you're wrong <laughs> yeah no she's a leader 
first and foremost, she's a leader. She's very um, measured and eloquent when she's interviewed, but she also is obviously knows when to turn on the passion when she needs to and knows when to get fired up. And I think she's I think she's just really switched on and intelligent. And yeah, I can see her being a really good tactician, really good strategist, and I can just see it happening. But also, like, I think she obviously, we know because of all, like, her TikTok videos and stuff, she can be like silly and she can be one of the, like one of the girls. She can win people over. She can win people over. So, but she will also be somebody like to lead in like missions and people will look up to her and yeah, that's my case. Okay. I actually I think you you made it better here than you did when we first discussed this in an Indian restaurant. Um because yeah, I think the, the point <laughs> <Indian> about restaurant <laughs> the point about being able to control your emotions is a massive one in the traitors, I think. What you see quite often is people either being accused of being too calm, which comes across as calculating, or too emotional, which comes across as either overcompensating or deflecting or just generally being, you know, melting down under the pressure of accusation. So I do think in that regard, Mary would be very good because you are right. When the situation calls for it, you know, and I'm thinking about the World Cup final here, when the penalty was given against her, she was obviously very very calm in the lead up to that she was very confident she was going to save the penalty um but then obviously as soon as it was saved and she could she could get back to being herself she was instantly very emotional and was using you funneled that emotion to try and hype up the rest of the the team what happened did something amusing happen i can't quite remember uh no normally <laughs> normally it's not like you've got a was mug it commemorating this moment <laughs> was it a very noteworthy moment was it no but um, I, I think that's a very good point i think my 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 issue with mary being not necessarily i don't think i think she could play the role of the traitor i think if anything she'd be too visible i think you do kind of need to know when to go under the radar and I think just by virtue of her being such a big personality, and maybe I'm being biased because obviously she's won all these awards, she's won Sports Personality of the Year and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think we have to say in this universe, they haven't done that. No. Like, they're not... They won the Euros the and went straight into the... No, no, they can't, they can't be a team. They, they're just... They're, they're, the people but they don't right. know each other okay they okay. can't know each other okay fair in, enough in this universe fair enough i think because so it won't work then will it my counterpoint to maria okay as who's your who's your mastermind then is again i i'm going for the kind of flying under the radar but quietly pulling the strings and it's kira walsh so kind of replicating what she does on the pitch i think she's quite quiet quite unassuming but then you actually look at it and you look at the matches, I know you're saying we're in a universe where they're not the Lionesses, I'm saying we're in a universe where they still are the Lionesses. You look at the impact her not being in the team had on England, and I think we looked a lot less composed, a lot less in control, and I think she's one of those players where it's a cliche, but you almost realise she's there more when she's not in the team than when she is, because she's got this sort of metronomic presence and okay. I just feel like she could go under the radar, she'd win everyone's trust, no one's really looking at her, and then suddenly you have to play too much with that without her and with like Katie Zellum or Laura Coombs in the team, and you suddenly think, Oh hang on, she was really doing quite a lot of stuff here. She was she was in my head far more than I thought she was. Okay. So that's that's, interesting. that's my approach there. That's interesting. I would put her then for me 
in the second in command sort of role, mm. maybe that in that sense. Because like if you if we look at season one, if we look at Amanda in season one, I think she was a bit like that. She was sort of like yes, everybody. She was sort friend. of like perpetually there, everyone's yes. friend, but. Pe- Everyone's friend, but people didn't necessarily realise how much she was doing and how much she was sort of chatting to people and stirring the pot. Yeah, it, it all. I can't remember how it all came crumbling down for. Her. I think Wilf just stabbed her in the back, didn't yes, he? Yes, I think. I think the then all the pieces sort of started to slot together. So yeah, maybe. So yeah, I've got like a second in command role as maybe Alessia Russo. Okay. For a similar sort of reason. I like, do not have Russo pegged as a traitor at all. Spoiler alert. But okay. You, you you go. But for, for a similar reason, I guess, because like I think she's obviously gone to Arsenal and she's not scored as many goals as maybe necessarily people expected her to. So you're saying she's betrayed Man United, <laughs> but then also betrayed Arsenal by not scoring enough goals. <laughs> Interesting. Just to reiterate again, being a traitor in this game does not mean you are a, a bad person in real life. It is a game. You want not to betrayed anybody. Um, I'm just saying, like she's yeah, she's gone to Arsenal. She hasn't necessarily. Everyone probably thought she was going to be banging in the goals, but that's not just what she she does. She holds up play. She's, right. You know, multifaceted. Multifaceted. You know, she's she more could, strings to her bow. Exactly. So mm. she could be a really valuable, you know, person for head traitor Mary. Uh, so I've got as my second in command. I've gone for Neve Charles. I've got Neve as the sort of... In, the, the more both, unassuming traitor. Yeah, in both series, they've picked someone who's more unassuming, probably almost always younger, except in the latest one, it's yes. Ash. But, okay, they've picked a woman. Yeah. <laughs> in the first series, she was younger. In the second series, she wasn't younger, but she was a woman with two very strong male characters. Yes. So, yeah, so it's the sort of one that, that I, I feel like the producers are like, they're going to be the first sacrifice of the traitors. E- well, either the first sacrifice or someone who manages to just sail completely under the radar, which yeah. is what I was kind of envisaging. I was thinking she's kind of a... She'll get everyone on side. I, I was thinking of her as a bit of a Harry as out of the UK current series where mm. she wins everyone over just by being quite affable. No one really would necessarily think, oh, she's really scheming in the background, mm. but she is. So you had that as your second in command one. Yeah, on, on the basis that I think as well, she she kind of she comes across again in in interviews very affable and very likable, but on the pitch, I do think she's got that kind of steel, the mm. necessary defensive steel to put herself about to mm. sort of hit have some quite you know hard hitting tackles, and I think that's the kind of you you kind of you look at her, you underestimate her, but then when push comes to shove, she has got that ruthless streak. Mm. However, she did get done by Jay Z a couple of times on Sunday, so maybe that's an argument for her being the 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 one who who slips up early on. Well, I think that was more just her not wanting to out herself as a traitor too early. She let Jay Z get past her a couple of times, but none of it led to any goals. And who won the match in the end? <laughs> We're mixing universes again. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I don't know. I've gone to a sort of different angle with that one of of like yeah. I was maybe thinking of someone a bit younger. Yeah. Um, who has got chutzpah to be a traitor, but might get caught out maybe because they're a bit younger. Mm. You know, not quite as strong a personality as the other two. Yes. You know, might be a bit unsure about something. Might slip up. Yes. Um. 
that's that's that was my only thought. What well, who was your sort of well, my, my sort unassuming. of unassuming under the radar traitor, and this is purely based on uh, recent developments within Emma Hayes's brain. <laughs> I've gone for Hannah Hampton because <laughs> I feel like again she's kind of got that she 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 looks quite kind of innocent and that kind of thing, but clearly, <laughs> and I you know we do, we don't have an inside track within the the machinations of of Chelsea Football Club where. It, to be honest, it does feel like Emma Hayes is conducting her own private game of the traitors, <laughs> having players backstab one another. But Hannah Hampton has come from nowhere to apparently displace both Berger and Musevich as Chelsea's number one goalkeeper. I love this. No one saw this coming. <laughs> this and it is in terms of the WSL. I feel like it is the most traitors esque narrative. Hello, Lincoln. <laughs> um, so I'll kind of... Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. there. No, I think we have to address why there might be just a weird stop in the middle of us laughing. It's because our dog came in. <laughs> the dog was so convinced by our Hannah Hampton... Also, uh, my Hannah Hampton argument that he, he came in to check we were doing okay. I do very much enjoy this this Hannah Hampton argument. I'm, I'm completely on board, yeah, by the way. You've yeah. sold me. Um, I just think, yeah, Something Something's going on there. I, I, she, she's just like... The whole season, she's been like, "I'm 100% the third keeper. I'm the third keeper. I'm the third keeper." Yeah, and then I'm 100%. I'm 100% the third keeper, and then she's gone. I am the first keeper, and everyone's like, "Holy shit!" Did not see that coming. I love it. I love it. Okay, forget mine. That's perfect. Well done. Hannah Hampton is the third traitor, and actually. I don't think we've got an unassuming traitor. I think she's. I think she's going to the end as well. Fair play. Absolutely. She. She. Like. Well. As as has been proved by the current situation at Chelsea, everyone thinks, "Oh yeah, she's not going to last very long." Oh yeah, she's going to get chucked under the bus the first chance the traitors get. And yet, here we are. Who's starting the must-win Man United match? It's Hannah Hampton. <laughs> I love it. On board with that, hundred percent. So I think we've sort of agreed on. Mary. Yeah, I'm. I'm swayed. Kira, you, yeah, Lessie, you, swayed, maybe. you swayed me on Mary. I'm still going for Lessie in a different role. Okay, and then we've got Hannah Hampton locked in as well. So we've got two goalkeepers in the traitors at the moment. Yeah, Kira Keaton in there as well. No, no, no. Not as a recruit or maybe? no. It's, well, just very briefly. So yeah, the, the traitors once they lose one of their own, they have a chance to recruit um, an extra traitor out of the faithfuls. And I've I've gone for Millie Bright for this kind of role on the basis that I think to start the game as a faithful, she'd be very opinionated. She'd be obviously a real leader. And as soon as the traitors are on the on the back foot a little bit and they've lost one of their own, they'd think we have to get Millie in just because like she's such a big personality. She's got so many people on side. And I kind of I, it's similar to kind of your argument for Mary there. But I also did see earlier a. Um, a video of Millie and Sam Kerr trying to guess their Chelsea teammates based on photos of them when they were really young kids. And there was one, Millie's own photo came up and she she really did a, a job on Sam Kerr kind of gaslighting her. So I think that was my inspiration for kind of like, wow. she can she can turn it on. Nice. Well, well, I had Millie in like the faithful who's bonded with a traitor and thinks they're 100% faithful. <laughs> right, okay. Because I, I don't know, like, I think like Millie's like, like I say, a very strong character, but I feel like she's she's got like, obviously, 
I feel like she's a very loyal person. Yes. She's yeah. got like Rachel Daly's like her best mate. Yeah. And I feel like she's got yeah. yeah. I feel like she get she would like find someone who she really clicked with and it would just happen to be a traitor. She wouldn't be able would, to bring herself She to wouldn't be, be able like, to bring herself to believe that they're a traitor. But maybe she could be that person and then be recruited. Yes. I feel like that would be the, the route forward. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Which does bring us on to the faithful roles. Okay. So honestly. let's just lock in the traitors. Mary? Yeah, I'm Kira, Mary. Yeah. Hannah Hampton? Yeah, who's, who's winning the game, by the way. Oh, yeah. Who's winning the game. Lest we forget. And, and Millie is the as the late... As the, as the recruit. As the late season recruit. Yeah. But who's, who's going to go to bring Millie in, I suppose? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not Hannah Hampton. <laughs> I think it might be Kira. Okay, okay. Anyway, we'll move on. So, for our faithful roles, we've got the Agatha Christie. So, this is the one who is literally, if you're watching the current series, it's Jazz. It's the one who's literally switched on to literally everything that's going on. Got the has, whole thing sus. Has figured it out, but no one believes them. Yeah. So, can I say mine? Because I'm yeah. very proud of this. I thought of this yesterday. I'm quite proud of mine as well, so I'm interested to see who you've got. I've got Alex Green. I've got Alex Green. Yes! <laughs> Yes, I feel like she would just know. She would just be. She would just be switched on. She would just know everything. I mean, I I put her name down, and I agree. I think if you if you look at it from a football sense, she is. She's got a very cerebral approach to the game. Yeah. She she's a fantastic reader of the game. Obviously, world class distribution for mm-hmm. her position. Um, obviously, can read attacking play as well. I did wonder how much have I been swayed by the fact that she's Scouse and obviously <laughs> Colleen Rooney is also Scouse. And, <laughs> and this, that was my, my slight concern, so I'm really glad you've named her as well. With Rebecca Vardy's like, I can't do it. I'm not going to do the accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think we can lock her in as, yeah. a, as the faithful who, who figures everything out. Yeah. I like that. I'm okay. glad I wasn't purely yeah. blinded by the Colleen Rooney so, Scouse connection. The second sort of faithful role I've got is is the strong team player. So this is someone who is a, like yeah, hundred percent faithful, but is the person that's like going all out in the missions. Everyone looks to them as like you know uh, a, building the prize pot in all the missions. So we we did we, again for for a bit of traitors context. Each day, each episode, they have a mission during which they try and build the prize pot. And it's kind of... they For some reason in the Traitors, they're obsessed with trying to identify faithfuls, uh, sorry Traitors during these missions, even though it makes literally no sense because everyone's building the same prize pot. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, like you're right, there's, there's always normally kind of ex-military or someone like that who is just super fit, can just charge around, take charge, smash the mission. I think you've just described one person and one person only by I mean, saying someone who's super fit and is just going to bomb around smashing the mission, and that is Lucy Bronze. Oh, okay. It's not who I've got on my list. No? No, I had someone else, but you make your case for, for Lucy. You've, I've said it. I, I think... Super, Lu- super fit, super competitive, yeah. super, like experienced team mega team player yeah um, feels like she just take charge and yeah. just like right here's the task we're building a trebuchet oh, God, slash i need to cross the ball in yeah yeah <laughs> go from there just, yeah smash it and someone would accuse her of being a traitor at some point and she'd just kill him yeah i also feel like yeah <laughs> to be fair i i i moved bronze's name around quite a bit i had her as a potential millie bright sort of recruit stand in on my list mm. but I do feel like she'd be one of those players who she no would. one's going to really accuse her because she would destroy them yeah just you're just like you don't want to go there 
to mm. get into a one-on-one fight with with Lucy because you would lose. Mm. So I, I had I went for a slightly different tack here, purely focused on sort of engine room, uh, indefatigable energy stores kind of vibe. So I went for Georgia Stanway. Okay. Who I think, yeah, again, sort of probably fly under the radar in terms of the traitor faithful debates, mm. maybe. Uh, mainly because she's learning German uh, in her spare time. But yeah. I think in terms of the missions, I think she'd be she'd be all out. She'd be charging about. She'd be she'd be very um, she'd be an asset to the team. But I, I I think I'd give that to to Lucy. I think you've made a better case there. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So we've got we've got Lucy locked in there. So for the next one, then I think we've got the one who makes themselves look like a traitor. Yeah. There's several ways that people can do this. So I think one of them is by accusing the wrong people yes. a lot. I think that's right. I think you know you have players who will try and go establish themselves quite early within the group. Faithful players, we should say. But they do so by following hunches that don't really have much to back them up. And the nature of the traitors is there are a lot more faithful than there are traitors, so you get a lot of collateral damage when you go down that route. So, it and that in turn can make you look very mm. guilty if you're leading the charge against people who prove to be faithful. Yeah. And you look like you're sort of trying to like divert suspicion and cast yes. aspersions, but actually you're just trying to be a good faithful. And you're trying to yeah, it, it, people out. Yes, but it looks like you. Yes. Did you have someone for this? So this is kind of where I landed with Lucy Bronze because I just thought she'd be, Brilliant. again, the big, big personality. I feel like she'd want to take charge. Mm. I feel like she would be personally offended as her friends got picked off by the traitors. Mm. And I think that would probably lead her into just being like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take charge of this situation, kind of similar to what we we just said actually. Mm. So we've gone kind of identified a similar trait, but looked at it in slightly different ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't really sold on this to be honest. I think because like we've we've also said another archetype is is which we've we've separated here is the faithful who will 100% be you know completely and unbreakably loyal to someone who then proves to be a traitor and that in itself can make that faithful look very guilty as mm. has just happened on the UK series yeah um who did you have for this Ella Toon really okay yeah. so you think I just think she's very vocal yeah she's very I feel like she's very popular yes um and I don't know I can imagine a situation so like let's break the rules of the universe a little bit and imagine that She's best friends with Alessia Russo in real Alessia Russo in real right. life. Right. So, like, let's imagine they go in and then they bond and they're best friends in the traitors. Yes. So, in that situation, I can imagine rowing back on my original thing of Alessia Russo as a traitor. If she was a, a fellow faithful, I can imagine her getting murdered at some point and everyone everyone being like, "Well, Toonie's murdered her." Yeah, keep to, your friends close, your enemies to make closer. it look like yeah she's not a traitor. And I, I could just see her getting herself. Into I, a bit of a pickle because I feel I feel like she's very she's very passionate and she gets very yes. she gets very frustrated on the pitch when things aren't going her way. Yes, and I can see that happening at the round table. Yeah, so I had Tooney one hundred percent pegged as one of the the people who, if an accusation came her way, mm. I feel like she would be like you say she'd be very passionate in defending herself. And in the traitors, it seems like a total crapshoot whether people say, "Oh, she was really passionate." 
she wasn't like super scripted and prepared. She must be faithful. Mm. But then half the time mm. people are like, oh, she was overcompensating, so yeah. she's out kind of thing. And I feel like she's a tough cookie as well. And I oh, feel yeah. like she wouldn't take any shit. And I feel like people take that personally in the traitors all yes, the time. Yes, you can make but a lot of enemies because, if you just yeah, tell someone. Just because someone's a strong personality and if you accuse them, they come back at you both barrels. People are like, well, you're a traitor because you've, yeah, you've stood you, your ground you burn and, that and you're a strong personality. And that's, that's gone so that forever. Was, that was my reason behind that. Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good one. Just to add f- to further complicate the what universe are we in situation here. One a- one aspect of the traitors that we've not mentioned, we've not planned for, but that has happened in both UK series is that two players have had a previously unrevealed connection. So I'm thinking in my universe, we could say that Tooney and Russo are in there, but no one knows their best friends. But then you've got the added aspect of Tooney thinking, well, Russo has kind of betrayed me in real life by going to Arsenal and leaving me high and dry at Man United. So there could be all sorts going on, layers within layers. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly on, I guess the only other thing that we haven't spoken about is the sort of other sort of faithfuls and and where the personalities are and sort of like the people that go under the radar a little bit. Yeah. But they speak up at the round table and they seem like I feel like there's always that one faithful way like they have no idea what's going on, they're not said anything, they're not contributing to conversations, and then they'll say something at the round table and it'll be like, Holy shit, they've, they were, a, they've actually had this sus story. They figured it out, it, yeah. and I feel like that's Lauren Hen. Oh, uh, okay, because like obviously, she's like, I think she's one of the best footballers in the world right now, yeah, top five. She won a penalty with but her head if you, at the weekend. Yeah, if you watched like videos of her, she's just so like chill, and she's just so like looks away with the fairies. Mm. Um, I'm about to use a metaphor here, which may be so torturous that we just end the podcast permanently forever. But Lauren Hemp, famous for her love of Lego, could it be that on the surface it looks like she's doing, you know, something? you know most of us associate with like as as a kid's toy but actually she's building the blocks building her case over time and then it, she gets to the final just by coasting under the radar and then bam she's put it all together she's constructed the case against the traitors i was about to slap you for, mm. for that but I, you, you did sort of stick the landing there you I, go. I like that i was and building I, to something and i think like i think that's probably a good place to end this segment yeah, I think that was good. I think that was interesting. Obviously, I'm presuming that Serena Wiegmann would be hosting. Oh, yeah, Serena Wiegmann is Claudia in this situation. Yeah, Phil Neville, just like some kind of dungeon dwelling, like kind of... He's not there. Okay, he's just not there at all. <laughs> he's not there, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was fun. Maybe it was more fun for us than anyone else, but Yeah. it, it took up 35 minutes. Um, so, yeah, I hope somebody enjoyed that. As much as we did, <laughs> and enjoyed the the Hannah Hampton. I think that's my greatest. That's did. my greatest work. And <laughs> if anyone has an inside track to, to to speak with Hannah Hampton, if she's got an agency or anything like that, I'll pitch this to her. I, I mean, well, they're talking about doing a celebrity traitors. Yeah. Room, so maybe they could just do. Maybe we can manifest this into reality. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> anyway. Enough levity. Yeah, are we on to hot takes now? We are on to the serious business of hot takes. So we know what each other have, have yeah. hot so taken. We decided to merge hot takes this week because there was too much to say. 
Yeah, we, we kind of got talking and we were yeah. both like, this is gonna, this is just going to be the hot take. So, so I'm going to let you lead on this because I feel like you're... You're more passionate. You're the. You're the. Uh, I can't remember who we just said. Who Who's going to lose their mind and be? You're the Elatoon in this situation, and I'm the. I'd Hannah love to Hampton. be the Elatoon in any situation. I'm the Hannah Hampton, just cruising in under the radar, just to okay. add to it at the very end. So I was I was sort of hesitant when we started this podcast of making it too topical. Yes. But we had to talk about this um, because I feel like. It is. It is like the major story in women's in, in the WSL at the moment. Yeah, I'd say so. It's Manchester United, and I think there's several things that I can say about Manchester United. What, why, how, and and when? Really, like just many questions. Yeah. Um. Obviously, you may or may not be aware they they played on Sunday. They played Chelsea. It was a a vital game for them. Because it must win for any chance of really. It was a must win for Chelsea, really, because yeah, um, every game's a must win if you're trying to win the title. Yeah, really, but... but also like so they had Arsenal, and, uh, Arsenal and uh, City snapping at their heels. If they'd lost, you know, that opens the door for like say Arsenal and City to go top. Manchester United had to win. Um, spoiler alert: they didn't, and they're now ten points behind Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and without looking at the table. Um, actually, I will look at the table. <laughs> Chelsea, Chelsea are not dropping ten points from this point. No, no, no. So, yeah, they're ten points behind Chelsea, and they are seven points behind Arsenal in third third place. Um, and City are on the same amount of points as Arsenal as well. So they are basically in a lot of trouble. So it it was a largely for me, I feel embarrassing display. Um, it was really frustrating to watch as a neutral. Because obviously, for the title race, I wanted man. I don't like Man United as a team. I don't like Man United as a club. I like a lot of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really want them to win, but I wanted them to win to make the title race more interesting. Yes. Rather than what's happened, which is essentially sewn up Chelsea winning the league, unless something strange happens, but I don't think it will. Um, unless, I don't know, Emma Hayes decides to put. Lauren James in goal next week for some reason. So I think I don't know. There's for me it, it was just a sort of like amalgamation of everything that's been swirling around them for the past couple of months. Like their performance has been disappointing compared to last year, last season. And obviously they let go a number of key players last season for free. Um, like you know we're, we're led to believe negotiations just. Yeah, fell through, and they haven't really replaced replaced them properly. No, um, they've got Melvin Mallard on loan, who's looked good, yeah. but wasn't playing on Sunday because of an injury. Like they said, a, you know, a minor injury. Yeah, and they've got Garcia, and they've got Jay Z. Yeah, um, who we'll get on to later. <laughs> um, and then you know, unfortunately, they did have a replacement in Gabby George, who got injured. Yes, so. They do have this lack of squad depth. Um, I think you could see that by looking at the benches on Sunday, couldn't you? I yeah. Mean, I think they had five players on the bench. Yeah, Chelsea had a full bench, and and you'd say most of those players would have would have got into the Man United team, the yeah. first eleven. So there was a difference there, but so there's all this sort of swirling around, and and it, you know there's a lot of questions about the culture there, reports of toxicity at the club. Like I was reading a an article that came out um, on the Athletic last night. You know, I think Martha Thomas's 
agent had like quote tweeted um I think it was like an article about her talking about how she's enjoying the football much more now she's at Spurs yeah. and and it was sort of like well yeah there you go evidence yeah. and then I think there was a couple of other quotes I'm sorry I don't have here from players that that felt like they said I think there was a player I can't remember her name I'm sorry who went to play at Blues um from United and said she basically felt like nothing she ever did was good enough mm. so there's and then there's, yeah so obviously we won't go into what's going on with the men's club because that could be a whole... Uh, the men's club. The men's side. Yeah. Because that could be a whole other podcast. But yeah, with the with the takeover from Obviously, Ineos. it's a mess. But I don't know... It, there's a question mark for me whether it, there is enough investment of time, money and effort going into the women's team. Like I said, not keeping key players. They don't have any scouts for the women's team at the mm-hmm. moment. They don't even... They are currently in the process of hiring a head of... Um, negotiations for the women's team so they didn't have that in place yeah um presumably for owner Bayer and um alessia russo yeah and, and, and Mary currently Oaks for Mary Oaks. Summer, yeah. um but equally in the 2021 this was in the athletic article in the 2021-2022 season when they didn't qualify for the champions league that year uh, that season they made a revenue of six million euros mm. Which I think was like the highest of yeah. any women's side in the WSL. So that for me is like a clear sign that you need to invest in that team. And you, we know that Man United have got a very good following. Yeah. As a club, generally. You, you could hear it on Sunday. Yeah. You? It was, it was a very vocal a, away following. Yeah, and very much. And famously, like Chelsea, considering their success, do not have a, a sort of matching fo- fan base and following. Mm. So, question marks for me over why the club isn't investing more in the women's team anyway. Yeah. But also, I think the more pressing issue, and this is the one that a lot of people are disagreeing about, including Man U fans and pretty much everyone in the world of women's football, is the manager, Mark Skinner. My opinion on this issue is Skinner out. I watched his post-match press conference earlier, and I think I think we spoke about this yesterday, and I feel like... He he sort of said he was he said he was happy with the players. He said it was happy he was happy with the performance. For me, if I'm the manager, having just watched that, knowing how vital that game was, looking at the chances they threw away, the go- the goals they conceded, I would be coming out into that press conference and saying that was not good enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't necessarily be saying it's obviously you don't want to start blaming the players. Yeah, and I don't think it's the players' fault at all. But Is I it? would I would be saying. You know, it's not good enough. We know and I that's have not to good take, enough. We know yes. that's not good enough. We take responsibility. I take responsibility. And that just wasn't there for me. Yeah. And I feel like if it had been Emma Hayes, and I think Emma Hayes after the Arsenal match yeah. said, you know, someone asked her what what was good about yeah, that what was the performance. And she said, I got a 10 minute drive home. Yeah. So I feel like that that was missing. And, and he kept saying... You, I wrote down a quote. He said, you can tell when a team is ready and fighting and that team was there in the second half. And I was like, where is that team in the first half? Yeah. You knew you were coming out to play Chelsea. You knew Chelsea were going to come at you. Yes. You know what they're like. You know how good they are. Where was where was that fight in the first half? Where was yeah. that Where was that commitment to individual battles? Where were you trying to win balls? Like, where where was that? Yeah, I think that's very fair, you know, and it's, it's all well and good saying, oh, that team really came out to fight, but at that yeah. point you were, well, you were, second half they were 2-1 down, but they were 2-0 down after 20 minutes, yeah. and how often do Chelsea give up 2-0 leads? The answer is basically never, and yeah. they didn't They didn't hear, and 
yeah, that's that's the end of it. And I think, you know, I, I agree with everything you've said there. I think um, it's, it, you know, it's it's an unfair comparison maybe because obviously Sir Alex Ferguson has, has loomed over everything that's happened on the men's side as well. But mm. the comparison with him and Mark Skeeran, obviously there's all, all, all this stuff rumbling on in the background where Manu have, have put out official statements asking fans to, to stop booing him, which... You know, I, it's hard to say who that's coming from, but it, it, like you say, it just feels it feels a bit comfortable. And I, I've said to you in the past, there's there is a kind of a, a saying in football when you hear ex pros being interviewed, and they kind of say that there's a difference between there's there's some managers where the players will always say, "Oh yeah, I love playing for him, love playing for him," mm. and it's because they can kind of feel comfortable mm. and they feel there's a, a lack of maybe you know expectations and stuff like that. Like I. And, you know, we, we've been watching the David Beckham Netflix documentary and the, the overwhelming sense you get from all the ex-Man United players being interviewed there is, you know, I think a lot of them have a, a kind of a father-son relationship with Ferguson, but it's kind of born of a, it wasn't a sort of, oh, you know, he, he treated me perfectly all the time. A lot of it was, it was tough love and you had to earn that love. But now they can all look back on their careers and think, you know what? he drove us mm. and, and we won because of that. And I feel like Emma Hayes has got that sort of relationship mm. with Chelsea players as well. Mm. I think they, they love her and obviously a lot of them, you know, Lauren James in particular, have been very vocal about how, you know, upset they are that she's leaving and how motivated it's made them to, to try and finally go the mm. extra extra leg and, and win the Champions League and obviously retain their league title and stuff like that. I, I just, I don't get that sense from Mark Skinner. And mm. I, I was... You know, my my small addendum to to your excellently made points there is just just on Sunday on the match. Obviously, I I know you you've done very well to steer clear of the Mary Earps discourse because I know there's there's been um, you know that Michael Jordan meme of him saying, and I took that personally. You have seen some people criticising Mary Earps for for goal kicks on Sunday because two of Chelsea's goals came from via those goal kicks, but she is not you know, of her own volition deciding to kick the ball long. I thought Sunday's match was basically a really good illustration for anyone who still doubts, you know, who still looks at teams playing it short from goal kicks and think, oh, that's a bit risky. I don't like that. I'd rather just boot it long. If you still think that, watch the goals from the Sunday's match because, yeah, two of Chelsea's goals basically came direct from goal kicks and there was nothing wrong with with Merps's kicks there. It was just basically Man U were a, are a slighter and shorter physical team mm-hmm. than, than Chelsea. I don't really understand the thinking behind that at all because, I mean, when you've got Lauren James in your forward line, is the press going to be that intense? Like, mm. to be honest, is it really going to be something you can't play around? Uh, yeah, and I, I feel like they've been, they've been massively hurt on the press. Yes. This season. Yeah. Mainly because they were passing it round at the back a lot you know, the, in previous matches. Um, I think you. I don't know if you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you came out with a stat earlier when we were chatting. Yeah. And it was about how many touches there were in in Man United's own half this yeah. season, which was like the second most in the league. Or yeah. Something. Basically, Man U, as you'd expect, have a lot of possession and have an extremely high proportion well, of their, there. apart from on Sunday, <laughs> have an extremely high proportion of of their touches coming in their defensive. Yeah third and then also in the midfield third but then if you compare their attacking third touches they are an absolute light year behind Mm. City, Chelsea and Arsenal which I think just kind of again speaks to what I feel is you know a lack of I I think even if you ask the most dedicated 
Man United fan and Mark Skinner fan, I guess. I think if you asked him, if you asked them, what is Man U's play style here? You know, we know mm. we know what say City are trying to do. They're trying to emulate what what's been achieved on the men's side with this, you know, very high focus on the on the wide players getting the ball into Bunny Shaw. Mm-hmm. We know what Arsenal are trying to do, which is, you know, Arsenal's touches by comparison. They had very few touches in the defensive third and the midfield third, but loads in the attacking third, which just speaks to their basically their desire to get the ball towards their forward line as quickly as possible, which makes sense because they have such a, a potent forward line. And, you know, just, just going back on the press thing, like you say, Man United have been hurt on the press this this season. Mm. So I feel, you know, in a, in one sense, playing devil's advocate, I do feel like for Mark Skinner, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if they were still playing it short and playing it around the back and, you know, uh, you know, Fischl had nicked in and, and mm. intercepted the pass and scored. We'd be saying, why are they still persisting with this? So you yeah. do have to be flexible, but I just feel like on Sunday, taking the game as a totality, Manu conceded to, you know, effectively lost the game because of their decision to go along from goal kicks mm. when they didn't really have the physicality to, to win the ball back. Interesting, sorry to interrupt you, but no, interesting sorry. enough, he said in his, his press conference that he thought that they were too eager to press. Right. Okay. That's what that that's that was his that was his assessment was that they were too eager to press and they didn't allow Chelsea time to make mistakes basically. Right. Okay. So basically what he said is that he wanted I think I mean he must have said something to them at half time that that worked because they did come out in the second half and put up a bit more of a fight. Yeah. But he basically I think he wanted them to give Chelsea more time to make a decision and make the wrong decision yeah. and then press rather than Press, press, press. Yes. But that didn't seem to be communicated. And if that's what he wanted, why wasn't that communicated in the first half? And why were they still blasting long goal kicks that they yeah, weren't going to win the aerial battles? Anyway, the, the final... Well, not the final point, but one of the final points that I wanted to make was that he kept talking about... And obviously, I, feel, I do feel a bit sorry for him because he was in quite a defensive position going into that press yeah. conference. But he kept saying, like, of course we're going to be compared to what we did last season. We did really well last season. And and he sort of said something like, I believe in what I'm going to do with these players in the future and what we're going to achieve in the future. And I was thinking, why are you not talking about what's happening now? Mm. Like, and I'm thinking, is the club, like, because, you know, with this new sort of takeover and the new CEO and all that, is the club thinking, shit, we've got to sort out what's going on the men's side ASAP. Yeah. Because people are going to get pissed off. Yeah, and, and if we're being honest, the men's side has got a lot more visibility. You yeah. Know, the new ownership... In, in 18 months, if the men's team are still floundering around with Eric mm. Ten Hag in, in charge and, and whatever, it, unfortunately, the way of the world means that Ineos turning around being like, oh, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're, we're only two points off winning a WSL title. That won't fly with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, whereas if they are able to get the men's team into the Champions League, you know, certainly, again, what we've kind of seen from... Man United in the past where obviously they, they didn't have a women's team until very recently and, and the pressure built to the point where they were like we, we kind of mm. need to do this as you say players leaving mm. a few kind of rumblings from players sort of suggesting they weren't happy and are much happier away from Man United mm. regardless of money mm. you know that it sort of does speak to where Man United's priorities have lain in the past. Mm. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Ineos' takeover means and whether they address that. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether, like you say... I mean, I agree, the men's team's much more visible, etc. But are they sort of thinking, 
we'll build the women's team. We'll put that to one side. Mm. We'll let that. We'll put that on the back burner essentially. But they, what they're going to do is lose all of their best players, and they're yes. going to be building up from scratch again. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, and it's just. And it's it, an interesting one for me because it, 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 it's just a weird one, isn't it? Because like obviously they didn't re-establish the women's team until 2018, mm-hmm. at which point they entered the championship and then won it. Yeah. And then now here we are. Yes. And it's like I feel like they're almost prematurely in the WSL and and maybe they overperformed last season. Yeah, I, I certainly think, you know, and you have to give Skinner credit for what they did last season. And to be fair to him as well, we also, again, we, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes he is obviously under pressure, and I think you can probably say, like, like as we have done, you know, tactically, maybe in terms of kind of man management, it, it feels like it isn't quite there at the moment. However, you do have to say that, you know, and for, for what it's worth, the players do seem to really like him as well, which, again, as I've kind of postulated, that might be just because it's you know, a, a nice environment rather than kind of potentially a more like environment like Chelsea, where it is a, there is that kind of tough love aspect. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, there is obviously factors beyond, certainly beyond Mark Skinner's control. He doesn't negotiate with players. Mm. You know, he, again, you know, as well, we, no one does. Apparently. Well, no, apparently no one does. But, but yeah, it's, um, there, there's obviously a lot of mitigated factors. And like you say, the injuries as well. I certainly think, Last year, it was probably a case of of almost kind of making a rod for his own back with how well they performed. And I think probably there was an aspect of complacency of, like you say, they only reformed the team a couple of years ago, got out of the championship, suddenly they're two points off Chelsea and they probably just thought, you know what, mm. based on the amount of kind of effort and, and attention they put, they've put into the women's team and, you know, obviously situations like the Mason Greenwood situation where they effectively put it on the... Lioness contingent of the team to apparently make the decision whether Mason Greenwood would be allowed back yeah. to the men's team. Just stuff like that kind of speaks to a lack of attention, a lack of kind of emotional investment, financial investment, you know, tactical investment, business investment, yeah. all sorts. And all so, answers. you know, we're saying this, but it does feel like, you know, there is potentially a narrative that's not been told yet where Mark Skinner is really, you know, it, it might be a sort of bunker mentality where he's, he's, really trying to keep that team together and, and motivated in spite of some pretty significant factors outside. You know, yeah. wh- whatever the cause is, it's not good for Man United. It's not working. It's not working. They need to have a look at themselves. 100%. And before we move on, I did just want to want to mention one, one tactic which did work on Sunday and I wanted to commend them for, which was um, Jay-Z lulling uh, Neve Charles into a false sense of security <laughs> by being completely ineffectual for forty minutes. Yeah, and then and just then blasting past, rinsing her. her like twice. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> to like, score that to to set up the goal. The Muhammad well, Ali rope a dope strategy <laughs> yeah. where you you just take three rounds of just getting absolutely pummeled and then you're like I'm actually really good yeah. for a bit. There was a moment. There was a thing. There was a, a thing in the in the press conference. I couldn't quite hear the question, but from context, I think it was why did you start Jay Z over Paris? Mm. And he. He actually said because she's unpredictable, and I thought, yeah, she is. Yep, yep. <laughs> she is pretty unpredictable. It's you can't predict whether she's actually going to remember she's playing football or not. Yeah. So she's unpredictable. She even to herself, she is unpredictable. But no, to be fair, I, I, I again, she, she was given again, you know, blasting long balls up, up top. And I know we've, we've really laboured this point now, but I, I said to you while we were watching the match, it's like it's such a shame that Man United don't have a really mobile, energetic, strong 
effective in the air forward. And that may be one that, you know, maybe she was like a, a lifelong Man United fan as well. So she's like really extra motivating and stuff. And, you know, they could have, maybe her name was like Smelesio Smuso or something like that. If only they had a player like that, they, this all could have been different. But you know, I think, I think to be fair, Jace, is, is, she is not a target man. She, yeah. She's not Lena Peterman. No. And also, um, no one could pronounce her name. No, I've heard it different ways. My favourite was Jizzy. Jizzy, Jay-Z. Uh, while we're on the topic, actually, I did just want to give a shout-out to some comms faux pas from this, uh, oh, okay. from this week. Just, this is a, new just a little new mini-segment. Um, the one which was annoying me the most during the Arsenal match was Pearl Over. Oh, yeah. It's Pearl Over. It's not Pearl Over. Yeah. And then the second one, which I caught on a rewatch, not on a rewatch, but I watched the highlights of the Bristol-Brighton game, was the the comms saying Katie Robinson rolled it past Sophie Bagley. Mm. Interesting move to score an own goal. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, completely got the keepers mixed up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout-out to some, some comms faux pas of, of the weekend. Anyway, enough about Man United. Yeah. Yeah, so shall we get into the player that we, we want to highlight this week? Yes. Shall I go first? Go first. you went first last week. Yeah. I think you're going to be surprised about this. Okay. Given the context. But the player that I want to talk about is Rachel Daly. Oh, I thought it might be her. So, obviously, as we've touched on, we went to see Leicester, unfortunately, get beaten by Aston Villa at the Pirelli last Friday. And at the time, in the heat of the moment, I was not happy with Rachel Daly. Um, Because in the first half, she kept hitting the deck. Um, The referee was buying it every time. (laughs) Um, And for the first half... She was dead to me. I never wanted to see her in the Lionesses squad again. <laughs> and then I calmed down, I came home and I reflected on the situation. And I just think Aston Villa have got some very good players. I don't know what's gone wrong for them this season. I think there was a bit of disruption potentially at the start of the season with some key injuries like Kenza Darley and obviously Hansen getting sent off yeah. and suspended for three matches in their first match. I think that probably disrupted them. And they do have some good players, and you you could see that on Friday. But I think she's a cut above the rest. Yeah. She's just like, she's just quality, isn't she? Yeah. Just everything, like, and obviously, famously, last season, got the most goals in the WSL. 22 goals and six assists, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And... I watched every single one of them. <laughs> I watched a video on on AVFC TV yeah. or Villa TV or whatever it was called. It had this horrendous, insipid, royalty-free music. I had to watch the whole thing. But she's, yeah, her control, her first touch. She's one of the best finishers, if not the best finisher in the league for yeah. me. Just, like I say, I watched every single one of those 22 goals and six assists from last season. And the angles that she can create, she can create something out of nothing. Like, if the ball's, like, Bobbling around in the box, she can just get control of it, smash it into the net. Yeah, um, as, as she did on Friday. As she did on Friday, very incisive, which finish, I had yeah. to watch again, unfortunately, yeah. for research purposes. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think this season she's just not been getting the service. You, you can, you could see. I've, you know, I've watched her in a couple of matches now, getting really frustrated because she's, she. I feel like at times she's been the only one, sort of pressing, trying to make things happen. Yeah. And I've seen her getting really frustrated. We saw her having a few um, quite vocal exchanges with um, with Carla Ward. Yeah. And I think Willie Kirk. They, basically everyone on the pitch, actually, a lot of their teammates. She's obviously very passionate and yeah. very driven. And I've, I've I've rode back and I want her in the Lionesses squad. And I think, to, go to, to, to come to my second point, I think in the Lionesses side of things, 
she's we've talked about this before she's yeah. been a victim of her own versatility yes absolutely because obviously we didn't really have a left back at one stage well neve charles was an option i imagine but serena probably didn't feel she was quite ready yeah she hadn't really come to the fore yet. um so she played at left back for England, which she's now been displaced by Charles, who we can't argue is smashing it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously other players have have, have come to the fore in terms of Russo, Messias Musso. Yeah. <laughs> and Beth England now she's back fit again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got options in that role, but I I don't know. Like I would still I've I've said this to you before. I would still back her every mm. time up front. I think she brings something special, particularly. I think she could. You could flip it now and say Russo's a starter and she's the impact sub. Yeah, yeah. Like Russo's already run everyone ragged for forty-five minutes, 60, 70 minutes, yeah. whatever. Bring her on, and she's even more energy. She's like the she's like the energizer bunny. <laughs> she's like she never stops running. Yeah. And I think she can really cause problems. And I watched a couple of like um, highlights of like previous England matches where she started in the sort of number nine role and she's just there. She's inevitable. If you put a ball in the box, she'll put a fucking head on it, mate. Yeah. 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 So that's me anyway. That's my passionate, passionate advocacy for Rachel Daly over. Yeah. I, 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 I'd agree with that. I think, you know, seeing her in the flesh on Friday as well, I was really, I was very surprised because I think on the TV, she looks very slight Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I particularly compared to some of the, you know, the more, the taller, sort of, I guess, quote-unquote, stronger lioness, you, you know, like Emily Bryce and stuff, mm. obviously very different position. But, um, yeah, I was really impressed with how she was just muscling players off the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, first t- touch was, was immaculate. Um, so, yeah, good pick. Um, so, my pick... I know who it is. Do you know who it is? Is it Jessica Naz? It's not Jessica Naz, no. It is, it is Spurs player. Oh. Um... But yeah, so I, I picked this player before the epic four-three Spurs win because I've just seen her. You know, I've seen her play quite a few times this season, and I've always been really impressed with her. I, I like her because she's well. So big, big reveal is Ashley Neville. Ah, oh, okay, of course, so of course. I really like her. I think just in terms of obviously the way football tactics have gone in the last few years, you tend we tend not to see what you'd kind of. Well, what I'd call based on growing up in sort of nineties and early noughties as like a classic fullback, like kind of think like a sort of a Cafu, Roberto Carlos, get get up and down, predominantly a defender but can attack as well. Mm. And that position's kind of gone away as teams move to that three and you now have wing backs who are more predominantly attacking, have less defensive duties to do when they've got a centre back kind of moving over to defend behind them anyway. But I really like Ashley Neville. I think she is a, and I mean this in the best possible way, a bit of a throwback to that kind of classic fullback where she can, she bombs up and down all day long, like ridiculous work rate. But I don't think I've ever seen her have a match where she's not put in a couple of proper like reducer tackles on yeah. on, on wingers as well, which um, I do love. I mean, I, I say I picked her before the West Ham match where she she didn't have a bad game, but I think. It was it was just obviously the wind as as I'm sure people would have seen was hilarious. There's that. It was it was Spurs versus West Ham versus the wind. Yes, it? yeah, yeah. The wind was 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 playing everyone basically. So it it just had a very chaotic energy to the game, which I don't really think helped either defense. But she did, still was just mm. doing doing Ashley Neville things. So um, yeah, she was my pick. Fair play. Yeah, no, good show actually. Yeah, she she's always like a solid performer for yes, Spurs, isn't she? she absolutely. Yeah. 
um, she's always uh, yeah like I said she always works really hard even if it's not particularly going their way yeah and um, I feel like with Spurs as well and it's kind of not to keep banging the Man United drum but I feel like Spurs and Man United are, are sort of similar and they, they don't have a huge physical presence further up the pitch but what I thought Beth England would like a word oh I suppose yeah Beth England yeah but um, I think they've also got Martha Thomas who Man United could have had had they have yes yeah <laughs> Um, but I do think, yeah. I know if you're if you're going to have a, quite a sort of a technical passing team like that with you know your Bize and your Grace mm. Clintons yeah. and, and and Naz and those kind of players, then it really helps to have a horrible bastard uh, defending. <laughs> and I'm not I'm it's not true. saying she's a dirty player yeah. or anything like that, but I think she she's one of those players where if I was an opposing winger, yeah, you'd just be you'd be you wouldn't be relishing trying to play against her because you think either, you know, either she's going to absolutely monster me or I'm going to get, like, I'm going to end up in, in the first row of seats yeah. at some point or possibly both. That's a good point. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that show. it's a psychological weapon as well as a physical one. Good show. Yeah, good, good picks, I think, this week, yeah? Yeah, I'm pleased with that. Um, yeah, so let's wrap this up then. Let's um, do it. Because we've been talking for a long time. With our gasp, our goal assist, save or pass yes. of the week. I know what yours is. Obviously. It's Grace Clinton. Grace Clinton's pass. And to be fair, she she scored two great goals in, in again in the Spurs game. Um one of one of which should have been offside to give Mackenzie Arnold the benefit of the doubt. But I, I even if she hadn't been unsighted and blocked off, I think the strike was so pure. I don't think she was getting into it. But I'm actually going for the assist for the Spurs' second goal, mm. which was ah, oh, just it was delicious, delectable, like a, just a just a beautiful through ball. One of those where it was you know perfectly weighted, so the, the defense never had a chance of getting it. Um, Mackenzie Arnold couldn't come out to try and get it. It was just just out of reach, perfectly into that that corridor of uncertainty. And it was also it's one of those I really like, which it seems to you can kind of see what's happening, and it feels like you can see it for ages. It's it, it seems to take like a minute to go from from her foot to to Bize, but it was just it was always out of reach of every West Ham player. Yeah, and it was just like you can see what was happening. You could see Bizet was going to just tuck it away, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is this is going to be a goal." You could you could appreciate the past as it was happening, and and still get to watch the goal as it happened. If only Man United had a similarly technically gifted midfielder who could put those kind of passes into the box. Well, yeah, as an addendum, I mean, we've we've made this a traitor slash Man United bashing episode. So obviously, she's on loan from Man United, and you do wonder, like. It would it would be a real statement from Spurs to try and get her full like as on permanent in the summer, and I think from her perspective as well, she's obviously she's been in the Lionesses squad a couple of times. It's hard to see her displacing Toon because just because she's so established in that Man U team. Yeah, I do feel like from her perspective, it's like you know if I go back to Man United here, am I seriously gonna am I get gonna get the first team minutes I get at Spurs? Am I gonna force my way into that Lionesses team? Possibly not. So she'll be a really interesting to want to see. Uh, where, you know whether she she pushes for a move in the summer as well. I hope she stays at Spurs. I hope she comes to Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need her. Maybe we do. No, um, Rantala. Rantala. <laughs> so mine is uh, a th- well. I was between two. Um, I'm going to. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. I'm going to. I'm going to mention them both. Me, Tedder. Oh yeah. And 
you know, obviously a shout out for a delicious ball from Leo Volti as well. Like yep. a, the most delicious ball. Yeah. Again, uh, sort of similar in that you could see when once it left her boot, you're like, yeah, that's yeah. going to get to Mead, isn't it? That's 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 and, that's and a Mido nice... is is just Mido. Inevitable. That's Inevitable. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, Leo Volti and Pelova, not Perlova absolutely tearing it up on, on Saturday in the midfield. For, yeah. uh, they they are just unstoppable and I feel really bad for Corrigini Cross because I can't see her getting no, into that no. team with those two doing what they're doing at the moment. Um, but yeah, that's another one for another day. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout out to Taylor Hines as well. Oh yeah, great finish. Yeah, absolutely finish. outrageous. Catching catching uh, Kiara Keaton off a line and, and a bit of a, a bit of uncharacteristic chaos at the back for City and she just she just smashed it. And she was on my bench for my fantasy team, so I was thrilled about that because well I done. missed out on uh, five points. Did, for a... did anyone else have any players from that match in their team? I'm trying to think. <laughs> um... I will just say, just as an just to 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 finish off this uh, podcast, that, no, have... no, 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 nobody scored. No one got a hat trick in that match that we need to mention. Did I have Lauren James and Bunny Shaw and Rose Clinton <sighs> all in my team? I yeah, I did. I've just checked, and I did. Yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. We'll so, end the podcast there. No, no. On a so high note. We are now, yeah, we're in the situation where I'm no longer top of the Fantasy League. Um, drastic decisions have had to be made at, at, in my team. Uh, I, unlike Mark Skinner, I will take uh, I will take responsibility for my uh, for my poor decisions. And um, I think... So you're not going to issue a statement saying the people who want you out of your own fantasy team, you, you know, they need to, they need to back you. And they love me. Did they follow you to was it to Malta to tell you you need to get out as well? <laughs> yeah, um, but I think our our one regular listener, my cousin that we have at the moment, um, would, wanted to me to wanted me to issue a statement on me backtracking because in the first episode <laughs> I was like, Toonie's smashing it. She's in my team. She's there. She's I can lean. On, I, have, I have had to sacrifice her. So you're the traitor. I've had to sacrifice her to bring in LJ because it, the numbers are undeniable. Tooney was 11 point something yeah. million. LJ was 8 point something million. And I, I just had to do the maths. And I'm sorry. I do regret it. She's going to she's gonna score like a hat-trick at the weekend. Yeah, and Emma Tooney Hayes is, is going... And now you've picked Lauren James, Emma Hayes, will Galaxy brain us both and she'll pay, you You know, she's going to all start. And she'll go on loan to bloody... She'll line her out to Brighton or something. Yeah. She's like, yeah, yeah, she needs, needs to toughen up or something like that. Who knows? Who can say? But yeah, so that's the that's the fantasy update for the week. Um, and I think, yeah, I think we'll end it there. I think another another good one. Yeah. We've potentially already lost some listeners with our traitors ramblings, but hopefully it was entertaining. I think we will have gained listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, big shout out to Hannah Hampton. Um, who, let's be honest, may still get banished by Emma Hayes. We may never see her again. That might just be the way it goes in Chelsea Traitors, but we'll see. We need to stop ending the podcast by talking about Emma Hayes. Oh, we need to make the most of it while we can. She's living in our brains rent-free, I think. She's living in... Up yeah. There. Yeah. Who are we going to be sponsored by this week? The Wind? <laughs> I, th- I think... Um... I think I want to be sponsored by um, Christy Mewis's Corner versus The Wind. Yeah, which was well, one of my favourite moments the, the, of the weekend. The wind. I mean, at one point during the storm at the weekend, the majority of the UK's power has been generated by offshore wind, and I feel like Christy Mewis could have harnessed that corner flag to generate like at least another couple of West Ham signings just by waving it around because it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's that then. We're sponsored by Christy Mewis versus the wind. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.